Thanks, Henrik. Thanks, team, for leading us in worship this morning. And uh, we continue our worship, opening up God's Word to Acts chapter 2 and continuing our sermon series, Encountering God. We're celebrating God pouring out His Spirit this morning. That uh, 2,000 years ago and change, God miraculously gave His disciples the ability to speak the languages of all the people of the world who were gathered in Jerusalem at that place but still not nearly all the languages of the world. At that time, God did this so that all people could encounter him. And we continue to see today how more and more people are not only encountering God, but knowing him, experiencing him, and being transformed by him. To help us appreciate the story of Pentecost more fully and the trajectory of God and his work, I want us to hear the story we're about to read together, with another Old Testament story kind of ringing in our ears in the background. So just two sentences of introduction to that. In Genesis, shortly after the beginning, that is the the real beginning, Adam and Eve, the people of the world got together and they said, come, let's build a city, a a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we can make a name for ourselves. But at that time, God confused their languages. He scattered them all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. Many years later, God acts again. And we're going to read about that together in Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The words will be on the screen behind me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. That is, the disciples of Jesus. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other or speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, They asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own, our native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun and said, They've had too much wine. So far, the reading of God's Word. It strikes me that as we think about the Christian life, we spend a lot of time these days wondering about culture. Specifically in Calgary or Canada, we wonder about how Western culture influences all of us. After all, whatever we are from, Western culture is the world we live in, the water we swim in. But if we truly want to be countercultural, I don't think we need to rebel against our culture. We need, as Christians, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Transformation by the Spirit is the only way that we can enjoy all the good of our world 
and also resist the evil of our world. We sometimes forget how shocking and, sh- and strange of an event Pentecost was. It was so unbelievable for ordinary people, ordinary Galileans to be speaking these different languages that some people refused to believe it was happening at all. They didn't understand what was going on. They just heard a couple ordinary people making sounds they weren't familiar with. And they said, ah, they must be drunk. Perhaps that reaction is not surprising. Imagine for a moment that you are among your friends uh, somewhere outside of this church building. If you say to your friends, I talk to God sometimes, probably people may think that you're a little bit eccentric. They might wonder why you're bringing it up. But if you say to them, God talks to me, they might tell you to stop drinking too. Think about it another way. If you're in leadership in a public place, we have an election coming up. Imagine an elected leader saying, I talk to God sometimes. Someone might well tell them they should keep their religious views private. But if they say, God talks to me sometimes, they're probably not going to get elected or maybe even lose their job. I don't say this to complain about our society or to suggest that it's an injustice. I say it to point out that encountering God is a profoundly personal and spiritual experience, and it's always a strange experience in the broader world, or to the broader world. Encountering God is exactly what happened at Pentecost, and maybe one of the most lasting countercultural things. The essence of human culture, apart from God, is the attitude of Babel. Come, let's build a city and make a name for ourselves. That's what every culture does. Different cultures make a different name or reputation for themselves. They build cities and uh, languages. They build ways of being in different ways. But apart from God, the attitude is the same. Come, let's make a name for ourselves. We are always thinking about building cities, building institutions, even building our own families so that the world around us or the space around us reflects us and makes us comfortable. We want our children to learn our values. We expect that other people will be helped if they do things our way. We put so much confidence in ourselves. Many times we struggle with things in communities, including in, at River Park in this community, Because we're frustrated when other people don't see things our way or do things our way. We feel like others don't respect the name that we've made for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves is to want to be known and respected. It's the idea that other people will change or should change to be more like me. Or perhaps even that structures or institutions might be changed because of me or my values. But this is not the way that God works, and it's not the way God designed for his people to work. That's the way of Babel, the way of our world apart from God. In 1998, the theologian Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy, in which he talks about God's plan to bring the good news to the world. 
And he, he, I'm pulling just a little bit out of a, what is quite a thick book. He says, when we examine the broad spectrum of Christian proclamation and practice, and he's talking specifically about Western culture here, he says, we see that the only thing made essential on the right wing of theology is forgiveness of the individual sins. On the left, it's removal of social or structural evils. The current gospel then becomes a gospel of sin management. Transformation of life, transformation of character is no part of the redemptive message. Moment to moment, human reality in its depths is not the arena of faith and eternal living. To the right, being a Christian is a matter of having your sins forgiven. To the left, you're a Christian if you have a significant commitment to the elimination of social evils. A Christian is either one who's ready to die and face judgment of God or one that has an in uh, excuse me, one that has an identifiable commitment to love and to, and to justice in society. That's it. That's it, he says. Already, five, already 25 years ago, 1998, somebody in the West was clear that making a name for ourselves is really about ignoring the gospel call to personal transformation. On the right, the focus is only forgiveness of sins, he says, or on the left, the, the focus is only structural or societal transformation. But the gospel, the good news of God, is that God is interested in your personal transformation. When it comes to you, God is not first interested in someone else's transformation or someone else's sin. When it comes to you, God is first interested in your personal transformation. Can you see how making a name for yourself is the opposite of personal transformation? On the one side, you refuse to change yourself or to focus on yourself. Maybe you want to have others apologize or confess. Or maybe even you are willing to confess your own sin. But stop short of really, truly changing. Or perhaps you want society to be changed to better fit your values or the values that you feel would be better for all people. But by contrast to both, both of those uh, perspectives, someone committed to the transformation of the Holy Spirit, you're committed to changing and realigning every area of your own life despite the fact that other people around you continue to sin and hurt you and hurt others, and despite the fact that our society remains unjust. On this second side of personal transformation, you recognize that although there's so much work to do and so much change that still needs to happen in our world, you can't affect that change in others or in society until you first get serious about your own life. God has been guiding and directing people to get our lives in order from the beginning. The very beginning, first story in the Bible tells us how God created order out of chaos. He creates order and goodness. God is a source of both justice and love. The first thing that God does is create order from chaos. And then the second thing is to create humanity to love and to be loved to place, uh, and placed within that order together. 
This is why it's such a problem to try to make a name for ourselves. When we make a name for ourselves, other people are devalued or pushed to the margins. At Babel, God created language difference so that people would stop trying to transform the world around them into their own image. That they would stop putting themselves above other people and they might once again be open to allow God to work within them. That they would recognize their need for God to work among them. At Babel, God easily overthrew a a rival order to remind people that he created them all equal. At Pentecost, it seems as though God did the opposite thing. He brought all languages together so that everyone could understand the same message. And that he did the opposite thing for exactly the same reason. At Pentecost, God spoke miraculously in every language that was present so that people would hear more than just have your sins forgiven. So that people would be open again to God transforming them, their families, their extended families, and their communities. You see, we as people, all of us, are limited. We have limited time, limited energy, limited abilities. Here's the problem. If we begin with this idea of sin management, if we begin with the idea that other people need to confess their sin or inadequacy, or if we begin with the idea of sin management that the society or or structures need to change, because we are limited, if we begin with one of those places, we will never get around to personal transformation. Neither the idea of the removal of social structures uh, or social evils or the personal forgiveness of sins is more important than a life that is transformed by God. Both of those things are important, but both of them follow the life of someone transformed by God. Personal transformation is the heart of the gospel. Not personal transformation for one person, but personal transformation for all people. And it's possible only through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit within you, within me, and within all of us. Paul talks about this personal transformation in uh, two passages that I'm going to read. First, he says in Colossians, he says, Once you were alienated from God. Once you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now... Now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in God's sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and if you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Do you see how Paul's personal transformation is at the heart of the gospel for him? He says it again in the letter to Philippians. He says, This is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and maybe that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled to, with the fruit, the results, the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the praise and glory of God the Father. Pentecost is the beginning of a movement of personal transformation, spirit-filled transformation in the New Testament church. I'll just say it one more time to hopefully help you help it sink in. That if we try to institute forgiveness of sins for others, that doesn't lead to transformation. It leads to legalism, as we see in the Pharisees in Jesus' day. It does very little to say or to tell someone else to say that they're sorry if they're really not sorry. When we focus only on forgiveness of sins, we inevitably pick some sins over other sins. We begin to exclude some people and ask far too much of others while simultaneously asking very little of ourselves. On the other hand, if we're beginning only asking for societal or structural transformation, that also doesn't lead to the kind of transformation that God calls us to. It puts the onus or the responsibility for change on others without offering the perfect example of Christ for how to move forward. It leads to judgment. It leads to canceling people or or institutions or companies whose actions or stances don't align with those future intended norms. It doesn't leave room for forgiveness. If both of these approaches don't make room for transformation and for movement, then at Pentecost, God does the only thing that could lead to a movement. He gives His Spirit to all people. Beginning in Jerusalem, people, but, but He gives it to all people. People from 15 different areas are listed there. Uh, the regions are listed by name. And more cultures than that exist in all of those regions. God gave His Holy Spirit to all people so that all people would begin to be personally transformed, to be guided and led by the Holy Spirit. As these people were, these, these people were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast and the celebration of Pentecost, weeks later, days later, maybe a month later, they returned home. And their personal transformation began to impact their family, their friends, and those around them. The first and best thing that Christians and all people can do is regularly and repeatedly ask God to transform our whole selves. My whole self. Ourselves are broken and incomplete. We are full of contradictions. But the Holy Spirit can and does transform ordinary people into pure and blameless saints. We might forget, because we read the story of Pentecost quickly, we might forget that at Pentecost, some people who were there knew Peter. Some people knew Peter and the other apostles or disciples for years. They might have known them since they were kids together. When they saw them transformed in this powerful way, some of those people refused to accept this transformation. They mocked them. They said, ah, they've had too much wine. They're just drunk and babbling. But others asked, what does this mean? What does this mean? Peter answers their question in a part of the story that we didn't get to yet, but I'm going to read now. 
What does this mean? Peter says, well, let all Israel, in other words, let everybody hear and, you know, in earshot, basically, let everyone be assured of this, that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In other words, Peter says, all of this has happened and is happening because of Jesus, whom God made Lord and Messiah. And when people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They asked Peter, they asked the other apostles, what, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When the Spirit speaks to ordinary disciples, they are invited into a journey of personal transformation. They are invited, their children are invited, their families are invited, all are invited, and the promises of God are for all. The invitation to repentance is first an invitation to confess and ask for the forgiveness of sins. But it's so much more than that. Repentance is an invitation to ongoing transformation. Repentance is, or the invitation to repentance is about turning to look at God, to listen to God, and to realign my life according to what God says every day, every hour, and in every area of my life. It's far, far more than simply saying sorry for the ways and places I fall short. Again, repentance is not something that you or I can force on another person. And it's certainly not something we can force on a society or or a structure. Real repentance begins within the intimacy of my heart, the holiness of my heart and of yours. When we make room for the Holy Spirit to work in us first, then we can trust that the Spirit guides us in helping others, in changing structures and institutions afterwards. Repentance is the beginning. Repentance is the openness that's required for God to change and transform me because encountering God doesn't happen the way that I want it to. Not for me and not for other people. Encountering God happens in God's time and in God's way. And God's way always begins with personal transformation. Not with a few words and not with the, the actions or, or changes of others. It begins with transformation in my heart, in all of our hearts. When we receive the Holy Spirit, then we have the space to appreciate how great God's gift is for us and to us. When we receive the Holy Spirit and we begin to be transformed, only then do we make room for others because we appreciate just how much God did for us. And when we begin to appreciate more just how much God did for me, for you, then I and you and we together can do more for others as well. As we close, I want to wonder with you the question, the second question of the crowds. 
not to wonder whether any of us is drunk. I want to wonder, what does this mean? What does it look like to see Holy Spirit transformation in other people? Or even to see it in ourselves? What does it look like to see Holy Spirit transformation? So I'll give you a few descriptions and then I want to give you a picture. So here's the description. First, you become or I become more humble. We become more like the triune God who in Christ emptied Himself, made Himself a servant, becoming like nothing out of love for others. When you encounter the Holy Spirit, the Spirit shares God's character with you. And you really do begin to change. The second way that we're transformed or thing that we see in others and in ourselves is that we become open to more uh, and to all people. To put it another way, we're, we're less and less guided by our own preferences and more and more wanting to give, to make room, and to welcome others so that they can see and know God and that God can speak to their hearts His words as well. Maybe that openness is just to one person in particular. Maybe that openness is to more. When we see real Holy Spirit transformation, it's normal for us to be surprised. To ask, what does this mean? Or what's going on here? Seeing someone being transformed by God helps to guide us as people to move from a more limited and selfish and exclusionary frame to a, to a frame or a stance that is more others-focused, more giving of ourselves and our preferences. We don't transform ourselves or others right, by force or by requirement. The transformation, the real spirit transformation that happens is a gift to you and to me, a gift from God. And so as we close, here's a picture. Uh, it's, it's a description as well, but it's a picture that I want to give you as we close. Peter, the one who preached that main sermon on Pentecost, Peter had a reputation for being brash and for being self-assured, self-confident, and also to a degree, a reputation for being self-centered. Peter is a kind of guy who would act first and think later. When Jesus says he's going to suffer, that Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, Peter rebukes him. He says, never, Lord. And when Jesus does suffer, Peter pulls out his knife to defend Jesus and, and to defend himself. Even when Jesus is on trial and Peter sees that or, or, or thinks that all is lost, Peter then quickly denies knowing Jesus in order to try to save himself because he thinks that Jesus can't be saved. But after Peter encounters the risen Jesus, after he encounters the Holy Spirit, in the passage we just read, Peter gets praise for himself. And he denies that praise. Instead, he redirects it to Jesus. When the people ask, what does this mean? Peter doesn't say, oh, let me tell you. It's all about what I'm doing. He says, what does this mean? It's all about Jesus. God made Jesus Lord and Savior. Later in Acts, Peter enters the house of the Gentile centurion named Cornelius. And uh, Luke in Acts tells us what he said. As Peter enters the house, Cornelius meets him, met him, and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter makes him get up. Stand up, he says. I'm only a man myself. 
While they're standing or they're talking with him, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law, Jewish law, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should never call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Why? I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does what is right. Peter recognizes the personal transformation of the Holy Spirit at work in people from every nation, that God is leading all people to fear him and to do what is right. Before Jesus' death, Peter would lie and break the rules in order to save himself or serve himself. He talked first and thought later out of self-preservation. But now... Peter will break the rules only out of love for others. He puts himself in an unclean situation out of the same passion and care and love because he has been transformed by God's love for all people. What's going on here? What does this mean? Well, Peter has encountered God. Peter has begun to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We've seen today and heard through my words, through the prayers of others, how God has given himself to people around the world and how God continues to gather people from from all around the world here in Calgary. I hope we've seen this morning how God will go to great lengths to invite you and me to encounter him and to be transformed by him. And so as we close this morning, we're going to close with the question that is often in the background. How will you respond? I hope we've seen this morning how how great lengths God will go to give his Holy Spirit to all people. So what will be your response? What will be my response? Will we say a few words and move on unchanged with our lives? Will we put the responsibility on others and wait for or expect them to change? Or will we open our hearts to God and say, God, in the midst of a broken world, a world that is still uh, touched in so many ways by sin, work on my heart. Begin to transform my life. That's my prayer this morning, and I invite you to pray it with me as we close. So please bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. God, it doesn't take too much silence in the quietness of our own hearts for us to see the ways in which uh, we aren't who we yet want to be. And with just a little more time, with your Spirit moving in us, we can see that we are not yet who you want us to be. It's so tempting to try to externalize the work of the Holy Spirit. But Spirit, we ask that you would move among us as we've sung, as we've prayed this morning. And now in the quietness of our own hearts, God, we ask, I ask that you would begin with me. Show me the places and the ways that are broken, the parts of my heart and my life that are hard. Breathe your breath of life on me and through me to others. 
Break my heart for the things that break your heart. Give me and give us new life. Not based on my or or anyone's agenda except for yours. Your desire, your vision that you have for us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.